0: Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news stories and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon.
1: Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 37. Today in the show, Dan and I are going to be looking back at 2014 and discussing our lessons learned, greatest moments, and much more. Much more. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. And as I mentioned, today on the show, we're reflecting back on the past year. It's December 30th today, 2014. So it just naturally seems like the right time to look back at the past 12 months and then maybe do some thinking about the new season to come, too. Uh, but before we do all that, Dan, how are you?
2: I'm doing good. I'm wearing sweatpants.
1: <laughs> Thank you for
2: that image. <laughs> well, um, I'm just saying, anytime I'm in sweatpants, I feel comfortable and I feel good. Well, that is good. good. No? So there's that.
1: I'm glad to hear it. How was the day at work?
2: Day at work was was good, uh, not too bad. Um, they pulled me into the office, and in February, they want me to go to the Philippines for for work.
1: Wow! So yes.
2: you're there for about, forever for two to two weeks to four weeks.
1: Wow, that's pretty substantial.
2: Yeah. Um, so I had to come home and uh, talk to my wife about it, and uh, I'm. I don't know, I got a, my wife in February is going to be eight, let's see, March, so like seven months pregnant, and then I got a two-year-old at home, so we'll see, I, I'm leaning towards I don't want to go.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like you didn't mention one of the most important things, too. I mean, February, February we're, we're talking about the beginning of shed hunting season there. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I just, I, I think that that's something that should probably keep you home, Dan.
2: Right. I don't, I don't think they have shed antlers in the Philippines.
1: No, something tells me they probably don't, at least they, not as big as they do in Iowa. Right, right. And if
2: they do, they'd probably grind them up and use them as medicine. <laughs> but that's probably just a stereotype.
1: That could be. That could be. Yeah. You know, interesting thing, though, people over somewhere on the other side of the world, they use an extract of deer antler velvet as a for some medicinal purposes, kind of like a growth hormone type deal. Right. Um, have yep. you heard about that before?
2: I have. Uh, Ray Lewis, yes, the uh, football player who got away with murder, that guy. That uh, guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, he used it or got – I don't know if it – because I don't think it's illegal if you're eating deer it, because that tissue is the fastest growing um, – living substance in nature so its duplication rate is very high and that's why you know people are trying to use it to make them bigger faster stronger type of type of thing
1: yeah pretty interesting isn't it yeah i don't think i would uh eat antler velvet though just to get bigger faster stronger just me i I don't think i would do it but hey (laughs) yeah was that your trick in college dan
2: um no, my trick in college to get um I got bigger. I didn't get faster or stronger, but was uh a lot of bush light.
1: <laughs> I thought that might be where you're going with this. <laughs> they
2: sold them in 30 packs, believe it or not.
1: <laughs> what an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Well, glad you're having a decent day you're in your sweatpants. Interestingly enough, I am in sweatpants too. So Yes. How about that?
2: Awesome. Tell tell me a little bit about your day, Mark.
1: I'll tell you what. I am freezing cold, and I can't feel my toes. And my face is really red, and I've got snot running on my nose. So, oh, that's
2: right. You were in the timber.
1: Yeah, I literally got in from the woods just about five minutes ago. So I, I, am, I just want to
2: tell. I want to tell all the listeners. I'm going to give a synopsis of our telephone call last night. Oh yeah. Long story short, Mark says to me, "I have to hunt." in the evenings and I have to hunt in the mornings because my wife is making me. So (laughs) I have never, ever had that happen where it's like, you have to go hunting tonight. If, if my wife ever said that I'd have to put one of my trail cameras in the house because I know that she'd probably be getting a visitor. (laughs) Yeah. That that might be (laughs)
1: suspicious. Huh?
2: (laughs) How do I get my husband out of the house? Well, tell him he should go hunting.
1: (laughs) Maybe maybe I should be a little concerned.
2: <laughs> you should, Mark. You should.
1: Oh, man. No, my wife is... She is a little irritated with me because I have not fulfilled my husbandly duties of putting enough venison in the freezer. Um, you know, my... Typically what I end up doing every year is I hold off on shooting does on my best properties here in Michigan because I'm still trying to shoot a buck and I don't want to you know, risk shooting a deer and have to track it all over the property all day or something like that. So I always end up waiting till towards the end of the season. Um, and so my wife was giving me a hard time this year because the past two years, I waited until New Year's Eve to kill a couple does. Um, and so she's like, this year, don't wait till the last minute. Start shooting does earlier because we always like to have at least three deer in the freezer to get us through the full year. Um, well, one thing or another has happened. I don't know if I told you all this stuff, Dan, or not, but, um, I started trying to shoot does about two weeks ago. I had an issue with my gun two weeks ago where the hammer went locked back. This was the muzzleloader. Um, the hammer went, lo- went locked back and so couldn't get a shot of the doe. Then I had my dad down. That's a whole other story I haven't told you about either. I think about my dad's trip down to visit us. Uh, maybe that's, I'll probably mention that actually a little bit later in this show. Um, but I had my dad down for the weekend, so I was hunting with him. So I wasn't shooting any deer. Um, so that weekend went by. And then I went out a couple more times and didn't have a shot. And then... Two nights ago, I had a shot at a doe, and it misfired, and then the deer cleared the field. And then about 20 minutes later, another group of does comes out. This time, the hammer won't lock back again. So I finally crank it back. It clicks, but all right, here we go. I go and pull the trigger, and the hammer won't go forward. The trigger won't pull. So I'm like, oh my gosh. So now I'm thinking the hammer didn't lock all the way back. So I start moving my thumb towards the hammer to try to click it back the rest of the way. And as it brushes up against the hammer, it goes forward. The gun goes off. And, you know, that was just a debacle. Because then after that point, I didn't know if I hit the deer or not. A bunch of cloud of smoke, and the deer went running. And I just saw a bunch of does running every different direction. and didn't look like there was one that was hit. So me and a friend searched and searched and we can never find any blood or anything like that so that was two nights ago and then last night I had um uh, a friend of of ours had expressed interest to me you know, a few months back that he'd always wanted to go hunting but he never had a chance to do that before and so I offered to take him out so last night was the night that we had um, originally agreed upon to do that so I took him out hunting last night so again I didn't have a chance to a doe so now we're here today it's the second to last day of the season still don't have any does in the ground. So I was going to go out this morning. So I wake up early in the morning and get my stuff ready, and I check my gun. And I would messed around with the gun all day yesterday, cleaning it and checking it, and I would gotten that hammer to lock back again. It was working. So this morning, again, I tested it to make sure it was still working, and it won't lock back again. So I'm like, oh, I was so frustrated. So I was like, forget this. I'm just going to the gunsmith. So I packed up all my stuff as soon as the local sporting goods store was open. I brought my gun into them and said, hey, I'm having these issues. This thing continuously is not locking back, um, and they basically said that it's just there's rust that's deeper, and not in the areas that you can easily clean that, that I'm cleaning when I usually clean my muzzleloader, but deeper in like the trigger mechanism and some stuff that is causing this thing to hang up. So they said the best you can do is just spray a bunch of uh, kind of grease or some kind of lubricant there, and uh, and that worked to get me to get it working again for now. But in the long run, I might need to, I don't know either replace, send the whole gun. And he said, actually, and see if they'll replace the parts in there, which is a pain in the butt. But that got me tonight, and went out tonight. And it was cold, seven degree wind chill. And, um, I saw nine does, but just out of range, nothing, uh, nothing within my comfortable range at this point. So now here I am one day left of the hunting season here in Michigan. And, uh, I don't have any does on the ground. I've, I've got a half full freezer and an unhappy wife.
2: Wow. Yeah, well, better get on it, or she's gonna find someone else you can provide, my friend.
1: <laughs> I know <laughs> it. So now I'm, I'm not looking forward to it, but I think I gotta get up early tomorrow morning and head out there in the freezing cold. So he'll be all right. It's good to <laughs> get out in the woods, but I'm, I, you know, it's the end of the year. I'm a little tired, a little cold, yeah. a little. Yeah, I don't know how you are, damn. But sometimes. I absolutely, you know, what? I absolutely love hunting, but when you get to end of December, January, I'm kind of ready for a little break. So I think I'm ready for that break.
2: (laughs) I, on the other hand, am not ready for a break this weekend. I'm heading out for probably a Saturday night and Sunday night hunt. Uh, probably I'll probably hunt Sunday morning as well. So Saturday night, Sunday morning, and uh, um, Sunday night, and then after the hunt, I'll head back home. But, uh, and then I don't know if I'm going to be going to the ATA show or not. And if I don't, I'll be in a tree for Friday night and Saturday night uh, the next week because Saturday, next Saturday is the last day of the Iowa season. So, only a couple more chances out to get out in the timber, yeah. and I'm going to try to take advantage of every one of them.
1: Now, have you been out hunting at all since middle of November? Nope. Man, Not so you one. It's been six day. weeks. You haven't hunted in six weeks. Correct. Man, we got to figure out some way to get you a little more flexibility in the job or something so you can get in the woods. <laughs>
2: well, I, I used all of my vacation for that two weeks vacation, you know, and when I and I could have gone out and done done some hunting here, but I didn't want to use my any iowa any sex tag which is your basically your buck tag and the county that i actually live in is different than the county that i spend most of my time hunting in so when i went to go buy my tags this year the county that i live in is completely sold out of doe tags because iowa cut back on the number of doe tags this year
1: gotcha.
2: and and i couldn't i couldn't hunt uh in the county, I doze does in the county that I live in. So there's that.
1: Well, now, that being said, going into this coming weekend, are you going to take a doe? I know we talked two or three weeks ago about, you know, what you were thinking about doing. And now, now that we're there, what are you planning on shooting? First deer you see, first doe you see, or are you going to still hold out for an older deer? Where are you at with that?
2: If it's a doe, it's going, it's going to get something thrown at it. But, uh... Like I was talking to my buddy about this the other day. I think I'm going to, if it's a spike buck, I'll probably shoot it. But if it's anything older than that and it's got some kind of growth, um, you know, like an eight pointer, a small 10, if it's a three year old, like as far as my management standards, those, those won't change unless it's a, it's a spike.
1: I guess I don't, I don't understand why that, why, why would you shoot a spike if you wouldn't shoot a small eight pointer? I, I don't know.
2: Maybe because I don't see its potential yet, I, you know. I I don't know. I it doesn't. You know. I can't explain it.
1: So for whatever it's worth, those spikes they aren't they aren't necessarily genetically inferior. No, um, I understand that,
2: but to me, I can't tell the future. So, you know, if 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 uh, if a eight point walks by or, or a, a 10 point two year old and you see, you see what he looks like and you can imagine what he's going to look like in, uh, 10, you know, in, in two, three more years, you know, that's, that's harder for me as opposed to a spike who, yes, he will grow into a bigger antler deer, but right now he's not. So I can't, is he going to be an eight? Is he going to be a 10? Who knows? So I guess what it comes down to is I'm a bit of a hypocrite on, uh, <laughs> <laughs> on that on that judgment but i don't know hopefully one hopefully one doesn't walk by and i shoot three does
1: well yeah that would be a good way to get me in the freezer that's for sure. i don't know
2: and like i've talked to you about this um we, we discussed this topic a bit um earlier in the season but you know it's like my, it's almost like I'm changing as a hunter and yeah, I want to, uh, have a high, you know, really good, man, do really good management as far as uh, age structure of bucks, but I also want to kill things. And you, if, you know, if you're watching every doe and young buck walk by and then it gets to what happened this year and last year, you know, your limit, your hunting time is limited and you're passing all these deer in hopes of a you know a shooter four year old or older buck walks by and then you're sitting in the last the last day of the season and no deer are walking by you and no mature bucks are walking by it and then you're eating tag soup so in the past since 2006 when I picked up my bow and really seriously started hunting hard and what I mean by that is you know you're you're your two week vacations, your every weekend, you're, you know, checking trail cameras on a regular basis. I've only shot three bucks. I've used my buck tag only three times in the past, oh, what, eight years? So, and then I've only shot one, two, three, four, maybe maybe five does. So that's not a lot considering the amount of time I spent in the woods and the, you know, for for two two or three years in a row, I was skunked on my buck tag. So I don't know. It's just a, I guess it it's a it's a mind game with me right now. And I know that when the season starts next year, I'll be gun ho about management again. And I'll you know I'm gonna sh- I'm not gonna shoot anything unless it's uh you know what I deem a shooter. I don't know. I'm going crazy.
1: Well, hey, I understand, and that's kind of what we're talking about. The whole you know larger topic for today i think relates a lot to what what we're already talking about right now which is reflecting back on this season and then looking yep. forward to the next season and um this is a, a lot of things that i tend to do this time of year too is start you know having these kind of uh, internal conversations with, with myself about you know what am i doing right what am i doing wrong what do i wish i'd done what's going to be different next year um so that's kind of what i wanted what i wanted to do here today um uh kind of just jumping on one last thing you said there, though, Dan, you mentioned that you've only, you know, uh, killed three bucks in the last eight years. And then we've been talking about how maybe you want to change your standards and what you want to start killing things. Um, you do have some pretty high standards.
2: Right. And um, I, I,
1: I, I know that. So maybe, I mean, maybe it's not necessarily a drop where you will shoot the first deer you see, but I mean, maybe you could start, you know being open to shoot three and a half year olds instead of just waiting for the four or five year olds or something like that. And that might be able to, you know, still be a challenge enough for you still be, you know, a, a positive management choice to a degree. Um, but also still provide the challenge. Maybe you're looking for too. I mean, I don't right. know you start thinking about like more incremental shifts in that at all. See,
2: this is, this is where it gets
1: hard for me. I was in a tree
2: uh, the last day of my Iowa hunt in 2011 and I passed roughly a 145, maybe 150 class 8-pointer. And he was probably a 4-year-old. And that, and everybody gave me crap for, uh, for passing that deer. You should have shot him. He was a giant, whatever. The next year, he turns into probably a 170, 175, uh, like a, a non-typical 10. And so that is a direct result of what, you know, passing a deer at, you know, when they're three years old in my area and watching them completely blow up into a booner. So that shooting a shooting a three year old is going to be very hard for me, knowing that where I hunt, they have one probably two more years until they, they have the potential to be big. So, and it may just be, Hey, I need to stop passing so many does and just smoke some does and get that. I don't know that, that, that blood, you know, get that, you know, that kill under my belt and get that, get that urge satisfied, so to speak. Interesting. Okay. I don't know, man. Like I have these dilemmas going off in my head and I, it's weird, but uh, it's like a tug of war. And it's, it's like, I'm pulling against a brick wall. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, you've got uh, plenty of time here in the coming months to (laughs) sort through that, I suppose, right?
2: Exactly. And it'll work itself out and I'll be right back at the same place I am at the beginning of next season.
1: (laughs) Fair enough. Well, let's, uh, let's take a step back now and, and focus on, the past season. Yeah. Before we talk too much more about next year. Um and maybe start uh, you know I've been thinking the past couple of days just kind of reliving some moments in my head. Um some of the high high kind of high points of the past season is cra- you know it's so crazy that we've been doing this since I think March or April and there's such a buildup to the season, and mm-hmm. it, as we've talked about it before, and then all of a sudden it's gone, and here we are, and we're already looking back at the 2014 season. It's kind of crazy. I, I feel like we just started talking about you know, our plans for the early season, but here we are. It's done. Yep. Um, but I'm curious, Dan, what do you think has been your greatest, maybe, and, and define greatest however you want, but what do you think has been your greatest moment of this 2014 season? What was your high point?
0: and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater.
2: Well, just like every past five years, for me, obviously getting out in the woods, seeing nature, seeing these deer interact with each other and, and their surroundings. But man... When my buddy Ryan comes to town, we have an absolute blast. We hunt our asses off, but just the time, like, I don't know, it sounds kind of cheesy and guys typically don't talk like this, but the the brotherhood, you know what I mean? The, the hanging out with someone who shares the same passion as you do and, um, you know, kind of feeding off his excitement. Cause I know he was excited for this year. So it's, it. I don't know the anticipation is almost just as good as the hunting itself, you know, checking all these trail cameras and seeing all these giant deer show up. It just gets you so fired up for the season. And then, you know, this year was all about Ryan. So getting to share in his excitement and watch one of his dreams come true, even though he didn't harvest anything, you know, he had a shot at an animal that a lot of people, a lot of hunters in our lifetime are not going to be able to, to have. So that was, that, that was kind of a combination of great, of great moments that are all wrapped into
1: this one season. Yeah, that's awesome. I can totally relate to um, the anticipation factor. Like that is such a huge thing especially for us that are um you know so serious about deer hunting that we're doing something related to it almost the entire year you know it's 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 nine months of work and build up and hype and anticipation and dreaming all leading up to then these final you know three months or so where we're actually hunting but that build up itself is a lot of fun like you said the trail camera pictures and you know taking trips down your hunting property and doing work and stuff all those different things are are great moments too that because you're so excited, there's so much hope and there's so much, you don't know what's going to happen during the season. And that's a pretty exciting thing. That's one of my favorite parts of the whole deer hunting year. I think is, is just before the season.
2: Yep.
1: Yeah. I can, uh, funny thing is I'm already getting excited about the next year thinking about, yeah. you know, what deer might be there and who I might be hunting and what might be going on. Um, yep. I mean, that's half the fun right there. That's a fact.
2: Now I I was looking at the show notes today and I, I don't know if you're on a certain path here, what we wanted to do today. But the first thing that popped into my head that I wanted to ask you a question was jawbreaker. You know, we can't we can't regret the past because we can't change it. We can't we can't go back. But is there something that you would have done different? Uh, in your pursuit for him um, or the shot or or anything. I, I know you think about it every day and I just would love to hear what you're, what you have to say about that.
1: Yeah. Um, for some reason I didn't see this coming. So I got to think about it for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Um, no, but, uh, and also don't let me forget. I still want to share with you my greatest moment of the season because yeah, it's something yeah. you haven't heard about yet. So make sure to ask Great. me about that later. <laughs> I will. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, so jawbreaker. Yeah. Um, it's a weird thing. Um, because I, to your point, I do think about that a lot. And for anyone new to the show, um, I won't go into much, but a buck I've been hunting for two years. I got a shot at him. I wasn't able to recover him. Um, and it was a, it was a whole debacle. So I've thought through it a lot. And I thought to myself, you know, what can I take away from it? And I, and two, one part of me says, I wish it never happened at all. I wish I had not had that encounter. I wish I hadn't got a shot at him because I, you know, I, I would not have wanted to wound that deer and, and have whatever happened to him, which I still don't know. Um, I would have rather, you know, me never shot him and hit him and wounded him and not be able to recover him, all those things. Um, from at least from the perspective of not wanting to wound a deer and, and, and you know, not be able to recover that animal. Um, but then I also, you know, as time has gone by, I I also think back about, you know, what I've been able to take from that experience, um, and what I've been able to learn from that and how that's changed my perspective on some things or how I go about some things when it comes to hunting. Um, and you know, now that two months has gone by or more than two and a half months now, um, I can in some way look back and say, Hey, you know what? You did a lot of things, right? Um, You know, for the longest time after that, I was just so upset with myself with how it ended. Um, But now I can kind of look back to a small degree. Again, I wish I could take back that arrow so that deer didn't have to be wounded and possibly suffer. I'm not sure what happened. Um, But I've also looked back and said, hey, you trusted a gut instinct. You looked at all a whole bunch of different puzzle pieces. You put them together and you put yourself in the right place based on your intuition and all those different pieces together. And you put yourself in a position to take a shot at a six and a half year old deer. Um, and I had that shot and it was the, you know, pretty incredible to be able to do that. Something that I, the specific deer I was after in the specific way I was after. him, And I was able to put myself in that opportunity. So now two and a half months later, I can see, Hey, you know, that was a positive step there. So, you know, I'm I'm looking at what I did from that perspective to get up to that point and said, okay, you did some things right there. And I've been able to look back at that and, and, um, take some satisfaction from the fact that I was able to do some of those things. Right. And I can, you know, now take a little bit of solace and saying, Hey, you know, that was a, a step forward in some ways for me, um, to get in that opportunity. Right. Um, but then looking at the final moments when, you know, the shot, I mean, the only thing that went wrong was the shot. Right. And we talked about this a little bit, um, You know, in that full episode where we talked about the shot and the whole jawbreaker issue. Um, And, you know, two things for me, um, we talked about some of these specific things and they're still probably true today. Um, The biggest thing for me is I'm not going to put the camera first when it comes to getting a shot at a deer. Um, in that situation, the biggest thing I, I, I feel quite sure that if I wasn't messing around with that camera for 15 seconds or whatever, or whatever it was, um, trying to self-film this deer, I would have had all the time in the world I needed to get a clear wide open, perfect shot at jawbreaker that I, that I should have been able to, it would have been chip shot. Um, and you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. So that's, that's step number one. Um. I still haven't decided what I'm going to do filming-wise in the future. Um, If I'm going to continue to self-film, or if I'm going to get a cameraman, or you know, if we're going to change kind of our priorities at Wired to Hunt when it comes to video in general, um, those are some decisions I'm you know in the process of making right now. Um, But if I am going to continue to self-film, it won't be the first priority. Um, I tell my story, you know, right, telling the story of my season and my experiences deer hunting. That's my job. So I need to be able to tell these stories. And part of the way I tell that story is through video. But I also have avenues such as writing and this podcast. I have other ways to tell that story. Um, and so in the end, my ultimate responsibility is to, um, number one, hunt as ethically, humanely, and responsibly as possible. That should be my very first responsibility. So if I'm going to take a shot at deer, I realize that that needs to be the first and most important thing I'm thinking about. Um Secondly though I do have an obligation to to be able to share that story since this is my job and've um, for a while there I, I felt like it was my obligation I had to get the shot on film and um, previous years I've gotten some shots at deer and I didn't get on film and I got all sorts of heck from people saying what's the point of even putting out a video without the kill shot why the heck what, why do we why do even watch this video and um you know I've now decided you know what it is what it is. I'm not Michael Waddell. I'm not Jim Shockey. I'm not going to you know, be able to put out professional videos, and that's not my number one thing because my sole obligation isn't to produce a TV show. I'm trying to have experiences and share those experiences with other people, and I have different ways I can share that experience. Um, so I might not have video of the of the shots or video of some of these experiences, but I can tell the story. I can write the story. And um, so from a, from a career obligation standpoint, I'm going to have to, you know, say video is just not going to be that important um, considering the fact I can, I can share in other ways. So so there's a couple of things there with the whole video side of things. Um, you know, the, the final thing that I still struggle with um, is I could, I still, in this case, there was a whole bunch of compounding variables that led to this, but um, I still rush shots sometimes. Um, you know, I, I wish I could be better at just settling in and then taking some extra seconds just to take some time and take stock of the situation. I just don't do that. I I work on things. I try to get better at that. Um, I have gotten better to a degree. Um, but I'm still not as great as I wish I would be. And I know that gets better with time and you know, the, the more experience I have, the better I'll get with that. I've been hunting for, you know, 27, 28 years now. Um, well, not that much, I guess, but 2020 some, um, But still, I I get some, I get buck fever. I still get caught up in the moment. Um, I still get pretty excited. So I I just need to continue to get better because in this case, um, you know, the camera, I was messing around with the camera for 15 seconds or whatever it was. By the time I finally got the camera situated, I had to turn around. I had to grab the bow. I drew back. The peep sight didn't open. All these things happened. The deer was all the way on the other side of the clearing. And I basically, it was, you get a shot now, it's now or never, basically. And i you know, in the moment, I said, no, I'm going to take the shot. And this is like, looks like my best possible shot. In retrospect, if I had drawn and then taken some taken a few seconds to, to think more about it, I might have seen that there was, you know, this small branch in the way. Um, or I might have just said, you know what? It's it's too close for comfort. Um, it's too likely that something could go wrong here. He's halfway behind these branches. Um, you know, it's better not to take the shot and not risk wounding the deer. In the moment, I I didn't think about that. So I, I wish I had because, you know, actually I, I went back to that tree stand now um, and sat looking, and actually where I thought that this was my last possible chance, if I would let him go and walk another 10 or 15 yards, he probably would have gone into another small shooting lane. Um, so I actually probably would have had another, possibly would have had another chance. Um, but at the time, I didn't realize it. So... You know, hindsight's 2020. 20. Um, I did the best I could in the moment, and it didn't go the way I would have wanted. But I, um, I did some things right leading up to it that I can look back at now and say, "Hey, you did some stuff there." And then I've also did some things I wish I hadn't, and I've been able to learn from that. And um, because that was such a um, defining moment of my season, that whole situation, it really, it really defined this year for me. Um, it, and that was kind of my big trial and tribulation that I had to push through, and I, I hit a low point for sure as a hunter. Um, it I really grew in some different ways, and so I, I'm fortunate, for, I'm happy for that. I pr- I'm appreciative of that now that I had to go through that and that, I'm, that I am kind of who I am now as a hunter, um, and now I just need to go and take those lessons and, and move forward with them and apply them in, in future seasons. So I don't yeah. know. That's, that's probably a long way to answer that question.
2: No, but the, the good thing you said in there is and and this is what I feel is the most important when it comes to hunting and, and pretty much life in general but learning if you can't learn from a scenario then you've wasted your time that's my opinion so if you can take away something from that failure and turn it into a learning experience then you actually became a better hunter out of that even though you didn't have a dead deer at the end of a blood trail you became a better hunter
1: yeah, and I, and I definitely think that was the case, and and then I applied, you know, some of the things that I, you know, just talked about right there. Um, I made sure to to fix those wrongs the next time I had a chance at a deer, which was you know two weeks later on the other Ohio buck that I, uh, you know, center punched, got a really good shot on him because I was thinking about jawbreaker just before that shot. Like in my head, I my thing after the whole thing with jawbreaker was when I'm working on a shot just. Recite Jawbreaker as my little mantra, and that kind of reminds me, hey, slow down, Practice, you know, focus on your form, take a couple extra seconds. So, um, as that deer was, you know, stepping into range, I was kind of saying Jawbreaker, Jawbreaker in my head, just remind you, don't let that happen again, don't, 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 don't rush it, and uh, and I didn't, and it, uh, you know, it paid off. So, that was definitely that whole the whole Ohio season for me was was definitely the, the defining. Period of my 2014 season and definitely my biggest learning experiences um, from from A to B or from A to Z. Really, that was my what my season comes down to. Even though I spent a lot more time in Michigan and Indiana and stuff, a lot of that was kind of negligible compared to what all happened in Ohio. So, good deal. So yeah. um,
2: Now, now we got to talk about because I so rudely interrupted your. (laughs) Your greatest moment from the past year,
1: yeah. Um, and I feel like I'm talking a whole long time here, so I apologize for that because I just rambled there talking about Jawbreaker like I always do. But um, so my greatest moment of my season, um, you haven't even heard the story yet, Dan. Um Uh-oh. And and it's kind of part one A and one B. One B would be, you know, my Ohio, the end of my Ohio season, that whole thing and we've already talked that whole story, so I won't repeat it, but I was able to, you know, kill a nice buck in Ohio. And I actually, you know, you know, the whole story. I thought it was jawbreaker and that whole Mm -hmm. disc, that was a pretty incredible moment to still be able to, um, complete that season in a, in a way that I was pretty excited about. But the best moment of my season came about a week and a half ago when my dad came down to hunt with me and my dad has, um, some eyesight issues doesn't have the best eyesight since he was a child and because of that he it's been you know a harder time for him hunting um he's still always going out hunting but he just doesn't see as many deer as most people the last times there'll be deer out there and he might not be able to see it um, but he's just an incredibly um uh impressive person I guess that what he's been able to do over the course of his life despite you know those challenges um but that being said he hasn't killed a deer in a long time because of that so We actually hunted when I was a young kid, you know, growing up. I would always sit with my dad, and he'd be the one with the gun, and he'd be out there hunting, and I'd be watching him. And we were never able to kill a deer together. Well, he was never able to shoot a deer while I was out there with him. Um, So I thought it would be fun. He was down here hunting with me. I would sit with him while he was hunting. But this time, you know, he'd be the one with the gun. I'd be the one just sitting watching. Um, But I'd be the one setting him up to hunt. So I took him to one of my best spots here. In Michigan, and um, I had a red night blind um, that I have set up here. That's really a perfect setup for him because he's he's not really comfortable up in a tree stand, um, and it wouldn't be really great for two of us up there anyway. So, um, we got to hunt a couple days together, and he was the first night we hunted together. We saw a few deer, but they were too far away. Um, second morning, we saw some more does, but nothing quite in range. Um, and it gets to our last evening, and we're sitting in the box blind together, and hadn't seen anything. And I just remember just thinking, sitting there with my dad and I just thought, thought back to all the times, you know, when, when I was a little kid hunting with him and thinking back on stories. So I started asking my dad about his favorite times hunting with his dad. So for like an hour, he was just telling me different stories of when he was six or seven hunting with his dad and all those great memories. And then, uh, we started talking about, you know, what were our favorite memories when, you know, me and my dad were hunting and we kind of joked about You know, the different times, and he mentioned the fact, you know, wow, you know, I never was able to shoot a deer with you. And he was kind of like, you know, it's kind of a bummer. Um, So we kind of joked about that. And, um, you know, I think he kind of lamented it a little bit too, um, that we had never been able to share that experience. Um, Well, then just as we're kind of talking about that, all of a sudden, like, dad, dad, there's a buck. And coming out of the tall grass off to my right comes a buck. A buck steps out in the food plot. And we'd kind of talk through this whole thing. So as that buck steps out in the food plot, I grab the glass windows, and I stand up really slowly and slowly, slowly creak the window up and latch up top. And I sit back down. My dad's grabbing his muzzleloader, and he sets it on the windowsill. And I'm like, Dad, you want to take him? He's like, yeah, yeah, I want to take him. So I looked over at my dad, and you can see him. He's pretty excited. And I, grab my, <laughs> I grab my binoculars and put them on the deer and wait a second, two seconds boom, that gun went off and the buck took off out of the field. And I got to look at my dad for the first time in my life and give him a huge high five and a hug and say congratulations. Like it was the first time for the two of us ever to be together and have someone shoot a deer. And it was just the coolest thing. Um We just, you know, so exciting and uh was just really cool. It's, you know, kind of reversed roles, right? My dad taught me how to hunt and took me out in the outdoors and all this. And, and now I was able to take him out to my spot and help him shoot a deer and to get to see him have that uh have that success and and maybe a part of that that was just the just the coolest thing and so you know the shot went off and the deer the deer actually dropped at the shot for about five seconds kick kicking and they jumped up and took off running so we weren't sure exactly how good the hit was it looked to me like it might have been just a touch back so we decided to back out wait a little bit so we waited until after dark, and uh, my buddy Andy, who has his tracking dog, came out to help us. And uh, Long story short, we went and tracked the deer, and we had very, very little blood. Um, just a couple little drops. Here we go, like 50 yards without blood, 100 yards without blood, but Junebug, the dog was, was really on it. So my dad was waiting at the spot where we had last seen blood, and me and Andy were up with a dog maybe 60, 70 yards ahead. And we've been tracking for maybe an hour now, I don't know, something like that. It's late after dark, and um, we get up to here, and Andy goes, oh, man, here's a pile of corn in the blood. He must have got a gut shot. And I was like, oh, crap. And I walk up there, and I see that actually the buck's laying right there. So I was, I was really excited, but then we're like, Hey dad, dad, come over here. There's a, there's some blood, but, but man, there's, there's corn in it. This is definitely a gut shot, man. Sorry, Dave. And so dad comes up and he's huffing and puffing and upset and frustrated. He's like, <laughs> son of a gun. I can't believe that he was so upset. And he comes walking up and we're both standing right next to the deer and he comes walking up and you see him just, he gets there and he looks down at the blood with corn in it. And it just took him like two or three seconds, just staring at it before it like processed. He was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) And so we just laughed and we hugged and we high-fived and it was, uh, it was just really, really cool. It was, um, it was awesome. Highlight of my season highlight of definitely one of the greatest highlights of my hunting career ever. Um, it was a pretty awesome moment.
2: Yeah, man. I can't, I can't wait until I am able to share my, my son's not even born yet. And I can't wait to share a moment like that with him someday.
1: Yeah. I think uh, when it all comes down to it, that's what it's all about. Exactly. So that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. So what, um, I want to jump back to you real quick here on something you just asked me about, which was, you know, my debacle job record. What did I learn from that? Um, You know, that was probably for me, that was the biggest mistake of the year, that whole situation. But for you, you know, what What do you think was your either your biggest mistake or your biggest learning experience from 2014? Maybe it's something that happened during the season or maybe it's something that happened before the season. Well,
0: now a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. For all things auto, do it yourself, and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today, or visit us at o'reillyauto.com/meat eater. That's o'reillyauto.com/meat eater.
2: As you know, me and Ryan put a ton of time in preseason to hanging stands and doing our scouting and and going over you know a high level game plan for for the properties that we could hunt. And I tell you what, and and we talked about this, about setting up observation stands and then sitting back, watching the area and waiting for, you know, waiting for the right time to do that. 50% of the time, maybe even more, 75% of the time that we did that this year, it worked and it worked to a T just the, you know, what, what our, what me and Ryan said all year long was we're in the right place, but the wrong deer are coming through. And what I mean by that is all that planning preparation, we get to the, we get to the location. you know, the trail cameras are showing, the big bucks are there. The movement, the, the younger deers, the, the does, it's just that, that, that one buck in that area is is not coming through. And there's two things I would consider that we may have may have done wrong. Or a, a, and the lesson that could possibly be learned is, I think a lot of people are afraid to just make that jump and commit to that next that next uh, stand location. We were in our observation stands. We were, um, you know, seeing the movement, and maybe we waited one day, one extra hunt and waited wanted you know waited to get in there, but. Man, I, I think there's a couple instances that, uh, I don't know, that came to my mind where we we were back from the area. We were back from the pinch point where they were coming out. And for a day, two days in a row, we were seeing all these deer pile out of here. And I, we looked at each other and said, man, it's just a matter of time until the big boy steps out. So instead of us waiting or you know instead of us going in there and you know from an opposite wind direction and, and waiting for the perfect wind direction we set back and then that night we watched the big buck come out and we should have been in that finger of timber when he came out and not waited for us to see him from the observation stand because we already had the facts there that the deer were piling out of this finger and I, I really think that we weren't aggressive enough to jump into this finger um, when when all the movement was there. And I think we just waited one one extra day and it, it's almost like, yeah, like I said we, we weren't aggressive enough,
1: yeah, well, I mean, we talked a little bit about this, I think, during our Rut episode, but I'm I'm right in the same boat as you. I think if anything, I took away other than the stuff related to what we already talked about, um, from a purely tactic standpoint, that's exactly my big takeaway for this year too. Was, um, you know, getting more aggressive and being willing to, when when you've got the facts, when things are ready, you know, go in there. Um, I. I tend to pussyfoot around because I'm so concerned about not putting too much pressure on the deer, um, which is important, right? You need to balance that. But sometimes you have to strike and you have to strike at the right time in the right place. Um, and too often I've been just a little bit off cause I'm waiting or I'm, you don't want to push in too far. Um, but I found, you know, just like what you said, um, you know there are those opportunities when you should go in there. And this year, when I did take it, when I did get aggressive, I got my two shots at bucks. So I got the shot at Jawbreaker, and then the next time I decided to push in, set up a stand at four in the morning in the spot I had to be because I knew I had to get in there deep. Well, I killed my buck. So that again, I think illustrated that um, you know when when the things are lined up correctly and you're com- you know, if you have that confidence, you need to go in there because these big mature deer you they don't operate like the rest of the deer herd. They're not going to be willy nilly out in the, you know, out in the middle of the fields as often. Sometimes you have to, you have to jump on those opportunities when you have them. And sometimes it's in the harder to get spots too.
2: Right. And that's, that's my biggest problem is I overanalyze everything. And instead of saying, all right, I'm hunting here tonight. I analyze it, I analyze everything, I analyze um, you know, opposing stand locations to where maybe this one would be better, maybe this one would be better, when I just need to commit. And I, that's a problem that I've been working on, and it, it just seems like it's, it's hard for me to fix that problem that I have with myself.
1: Yeah. Now, one thing we mentioned earlier this year, um, something you would mentioned when talking about this for next year, you said you might even consider not hanging any stands at all. Instead, right. just using, just using a portable. So that every time you go out, you can pick whatever the best spot is for that night and not feel like you are obligated to sit any pre hung stands. Is that something you still think you want to do next year?
2: Yeah, most definitely. Um, because here is the re- exact reasons why. And I think we talked about this on one of the podcasts already, but go out there and trim trim stands early and, and, um, you know, your July and your August or whatever and and trim those stand locations out, but don't leave any, don't leave any stands in it because then what I, what I found myself in in this year was I have a stand in a location, in an area and I needed to be 40 yards away or 20 yards this way or 30 yards this square, 40 yards, whatever. And then you're almost committed to that area when, you know, All I have are lone wolf tree stands and sticks, okay? So I they're easy to put on my back, and I can go in and do a run-and-gun setup fairly easy, and I've done enough times where it it doesn't take that long. The only problem is, you know, getting in there quietly, trimming out shooting lanes. So so I have to get in earlier. I have to – but I'm used to that because that's just the way I hunt. But if I can go into these certain spots, cut out a couple shooting lanes, and then – start have a starting place tear down that set and then move make my you know my minor uh, adjustments uh, from that location I I really think that's gonna help me get closer to, to the deer you have to be mobile every time it just comes back to that for me
1: yeah I think it makes a lot of sense to, to hunt like that in in your type of situation but a lot of work too
2: yep it is and it is it's something that has an expiration date because, you know, when I hit my fifties depending on how good a shape I am in when I hit those older ages, it can't, it's not going to be able to be done. And as I'm going to hunt like that as and hard as I can until, until I can't do it anymore. And, uh, that's, uh, that's just the way in my, I, my belief is that's how it has to be for me to get closer to these big deer with the, the scenario that I have, the, the added pressure from other hunters, the, um, you know, the, 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 change of the crops when they introduce the livestock into the fields, it's, you know, all those things are in a way, a pattern. And I have to put all these pieces of the puzzle together to find out what the best possible location for that is. And it's different every year. So I can't have a permanent stand and it's if dis- it's different every day.
1: Right. You've got a pretty dynamic situation there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, something that I got popped up in my head here while we're talking about this is, um, it doesn't seem directly related to what you just said, but it made me think of this. One of the other big things, uh, kind of one of the mistakes I made this year, and one of the big things I want to do different next year, um, in addition to being more aggressive, is land, getting more access. One of the biggest mistakes I made this year, Dan, I don't know if we've ever really talked about it, um, but I got comfortable with my land situation. So mm-hmm. I have my property down in Ohio, which is a great spot. I have my couple spots in Michigan. I've had more spots in Michigan. I've lost a few spots, but I've got a couple here that are okay. Um, and then at the beginning of the year, I was originally going to hunt in Iowa, and then I changed and said, no, I'm going to hunt in Indiana. So then I went into the summer saying, okay, I'm going to go out there and knock on a bunch of doors, get permission on a couple of good spots in Indiana. So I went down there several times, scouting, kind of look, checking out fields and seeing what kind of deer we were rare, And I, you know, eventually in July found an area with some nice bucks in the general area, spent a night out there knocking on doors. They had knocked on like eight or nine different doors. And I got kind of sort of permission on a spot, um, but after that, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm upset. I'll stick with that spot. Well, that spot ends up falling through. But then I've got another friend who says, hey, I've, I live in Indiana. I can get you permission on a couple spots. So he calls me one night and says, hey, I got permission for two or three farms for you. Um, I, I'll send you the address information you know, shortly. Well, he, he's kind of a friend of a friend, not someone I know really well. Well, I never heard back from him again. So, but because of that, we're having that conversation like in August or something. I decided I wasn't going to go knock on any more doors or try to get any more properties. I was like, well, I got that. Um, that'll come through. So September comes right We have the Elcon. I was off here and there and October arrives and now this guy has not gotten back to me, has got me no information about this property. So I now don't have anywhere to hunt in Indiana and it's October and I was, you know, banking on having that spot. So now I'm, just stuck with Ohio and Michigan well Michigan ends up being a complete flop as you know I've had no mature bucks in the area at all except for one um, who wasn't even you know that exciting of a deer to hunt but um, in general Michigan was my properties in Michigan were total busts compared to how they are most years so Michigan essentially as we got into October became somewhere I wasn't really even that interested in hunting anymore um, for this season so now I've just had Ohio pretty much Um, and I, I dropped the ball because I hadn't Followed through on the Indiana situation and gotten permission on additional places and kept knocking on doors. And now I was stuck with nowhere to go. So, you know, as you know, I was able to get some last minute permission on a property in Indiana and I got to hunt down there, but it was, I'd never been down there. I knew nothing about it. I just showed up and tried to figure some stuff out and there was other people hunting it and a whole bunch of other things. And it obviously didn't work out at all. So, you know, that's something I learned is I just need to, this coming year, just, you can never have access to too many spots. Um, so I'm gonna just tirelessly go out there and get more spots in Michigan, get spots in some other states. For me, I've I've kind of realized I need permission. I need to have two out-of-state spots for me. Um Michigan is just not dependable enough at least where I can hunt that I know there's going to be, you know, enough mature deer for me to hunt to make it worth a whole lifetime for me. So I need to have two out-of-state places that I can be bouncing back and forth from throughout the year to, to keep me busy and in the deer that I'm interested in hunting and, and I just wasn't prepared for that this year so that's a that's a big thing for me next year is I'm not going to get into that situation again where I'm you know stuck with a field tag in Ohio and nowhere else that I'm really excited about hunting
2: right and that's that time of year starts as soon as the season's over yeah because Shed hunting a property is the key, in my opinion, to accessing it for hunting season because a majority of people will let you go in and shed hunt and look for antlers because not a lot of other people do it. And you get to know the farmer through that, then they're more, you know, they're more acceptable to, you know, to letting you to come in and and bow hunt uh, or whatever kind of hunting you want to do. And even, you know, even hunting that property for, uh, for a turkey hunt. because you know more people deer hunt than turkey hunt and 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 in my area anyway and i just know that any any chance you can get to prove yourself as a good person to these landowners they're gonna let you jump in with you know let's say the other hunters that are in this area so or in on their farms
1: yeah that is one of the such a great piece of advice and something that's worked for me and some of my friends too is exactly get your foot in the door with something that's not quite as um you know competitive people aren't quite as worried about you going out there in february to look for antlers and it's a great way to build that relationship
2: and didn't we i think we had a podcast almost dedicated to getting permission yes yeah i think you should post that as a link on the on the show notes here and you guys should take a a listen to that because a lot of good information is uh, covered in that podcast as well
1: yeah you are absolutely right we'll do that because um it's such an important thing. I mean, really all these things we've talked about when it comes to like being aggressive or different tactics, none of that matters if the deer that you're interest, the kind of deer that you're interested in hunting, don't live there. Right. Um, so you got to have the land. You have to be in the right spots to, to even be in the game. So big takeaway. Big takeaway That's there for me. So we are getting here pretty close to time, Dan. Um, I would say... Um, well, I'm curious for you, Dan, if there was anything, right. We've talked about some of our high moments, some of our low moments from the year, some things we want to do differently. Um, for me, I start setting new goals for, for the next season about this time. Um, and I start challenging myself in new ways too, different ways that I want to push myself and do some things different. So we've talked about some of those to this point. Um, but I'm curious, is there anything that you would challenge our listeners to do next year? Um, yeah, cause I, everyone listening to this, I'm sure some of you guys out there can relate to some of the things me and Dan are talking about. Um, but you know, we definitely want to push you guys to get better too, just as we're trying to push ourselves to, to grow as hunters. So Dan, is there anything that you can think of that would be worth to, to kind of challenge our our listeners with?
2: Oh yeah. And it's hard to do because I still find myself getting complacent in my old ways, as well, especially when you're, when you're exhausted and, you know, hunting is supposed to be this relaxing time to enjoy nature and all that stuff. But if your goals are, if you have high goals, there's only one way to do that. And my, I guess my challenge would be, don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to go into an area that you think a a, you know, a big old mature buck is living. And and fail, get winded, and get blown out of there, because the only way you're going to get that mature buck is by going in there and potentially risking that, because it's it's a coin toss or it, you know it's a crapshoot, whatever, whatever whatever way you want to think about it. In order to get to these big mature animals, you have to go to where they live. Not see not see them, but be able to shoot them. You know, for bow hunting, you got to be close. So, my challenge is to make a move.
1: period. I love it. I love the idea of don't be afraid to fail because that's something you know over the years I've been so that's that's well, that's one of my big issues is I'm always afraid of screwing it up so i'm I won't risk the aggressive move because' I'm, I'm more concerned about screwing it up versus you know being confident in my ability to possibly pull it off. Um, but and that's I think
2: a, that's a human flaw yeah. I mean. Just imagine if you, you know, it's like when when you see a hot girl at a bar, you know, and you're, you're like, <laughs> I'm married now, so I can't do any of that stuff. But you you see a hot girl at the bar, you want to talk to her, but you don't got the balls to. This this is easier because, you know, you're not going to get rejected by a whitetail. Yeah, they'll blow and run away, whatever, but that's there's no humility there. None of your friends are going to see that.
1: No, you. but it's funny, though. That's what used to happen to me at the bar, too.
2: <laughs> they'd blow and run away.
1: Well, they'd make weird noises <laughs> or something like that. <laughs>
2: man, what kind of girls were you going
1: after? <laughs> oh, man. I don't think I meant it quite the way it sounded after I said it. <laughs> but sorry, moving on. <laughs> um, no, I, I think that's some really good advice. Um, go home, yeah. Man. And, uh, you know, even those times when you do screw it up, you go, you push in there, and you, see the, you spook the buck you learn something from that because you saw, yeah, I was right. He was in here or, you know, I, I, you know, the assumptions I had about how this deer was operating. Yes. I can now confirm it. And those confirmations, those sightings, even though you spooked him and maybe you don't get to kill him this year, you've just added a really important piece of the puzzle to your, you know, your knowledge bank that you can apply for 20, 30 years in the future, because you learned something important about that deer and how mature deer operate. Um, so I think it's really important. You know, we hammer, we talk about this all the time, but, really looking at those situations where you quote unquote fail and finding what you can learn from that.
2: Yep. And I fail every day or every time I'm out in the woods, there's you, you can never, you very rarely have the perfect time. You know, if you kill the deer you're after in that, in that sit on that day, that's the perfect time, but you don't kill a big deer or a deer you're going after every time you step into the woods. So you got to lose sometimes.
1: Yeah. That's, that's why they call it hunting and not shooting. Fact. Yep. Well, I think, uh, we could probably keep talking about different things along these lines for another. this going to be
2: the first ever end of the year, two hour episode.
1: (laughs) It could be, but I'm going to cut it off because we could talk for two hours, but this is going to be our, our first one hour end of the year episode for 2014. And, uh, we'll soon be, we'll be in 2015 here soon. So real, real quick. Yeah. Real,
2: I got to know this one. Cause it's on the show notes. Funniest moment or embarrassing moment in the past year. Give it to me straight as short, short as you
1: can. Oh gosh. That's the issue is I, I wrote that. And then I, I totally can't think of my moment now. You put a little note there, GP. What's I did. That mean? So that was, that was my fallback story. If you, if you tried to ask this one, <laughs> Um, I thought of a story, a funny story that me and my dad had talked about while we were hunting from a past year. Um, I can tell you that funny story if you still want, but I, I just I know there's some dumb stuff I did this year. I just can't remember it off the top of my head. Gotcha. Um, but was it
2: was it how how you were conceived? <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> you know that's a, <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell that story. But unfor- okay. unfortunately, I do know a little bit about that. I don't really want to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but i uh, do you have one? I don't have a good one. Tell you I got a, I got a good one. Uh, let's hear right. it. Is, Cause it'll be so, fun.
2: so I was on, I was regular this year and when I mean regular, I mean I had to go at the same time almost every day. Number two, you know what I mean? <laughs>
1: uh-huh. And
2: I had, I broke a personal record this year. Most poops from a tree stand without getting down. So and that's and that's as a cameraman.
1: Oh my gosh.
2: So Ryan had to witness I guess he didn't watch me do it. He had his back turned. He could've peeked.
1: But that poor guy.
2: But yeah. I uh I dropped deuce from uh twenty feet. That's pretty,
1: that's pretty incredible. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings up a funny story um that didn't happen to me, but one of my good buddies that I hunt with. Um so we're <laughs> we're up north at my family hunting camp. And he'll probably kill me for telling this story. But um, he's out there sitting out in the middle of the woods, way back in the deep woods of northern Michigan. And, you know, we drink this really stiff, nasty coffee, black coffee in the morning before we go out hunting. So obviously that gets your digestive tract moving. So he's out there sitting way back in the woods, and he gets that feeling. He's like, oh, man, I I got to go. And he goes rummaging through his pack, and he realizes he forgot his TP. So in his panic, and this is like a serious situation, in his panic, he had to rip off all of his boxers except for like a little loin cloth, just covering a little bit, and just the elastic band around the front to take care of it. And then he comes walking in, you know, a couple hours later in the camp, and he's got this funny look on his face. I'm like, "What are you smirking about?" And he just kind of pulls up his uh, shirt and just shows just, just all he has—an elastic band hanging out over his <laughs> hips. <laughs> it was horrible.
2: Yeah, I had use a pair. I had to take off one of my layers of socks and my feet got cold, but poopy butt is not, I mean, cold feet is better than poopy butt.
1: Yeah. And I can't believe some, how do we get on this topic here? Like how how did this happen?
2: Hey, I told a funny story.
1: Yep. Yep. Well, (laughs) well, there goes the sponsors. There goes everything. Really. There goes the whole show.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been a great uh, run here, guys. We'll uh, never see you again.
1: Been a good year, but Dan started talking about wiping his butt with socks and then we had to shut it down. (laughs) Oh, geez. Well, I think this is a perfect way to end 2014.
2: <laughs> we got some big things coming up too, man. I, I, we talked about, uh, the next, some of the next, uh, guests. And I know if you're a guy, you're going to love, uh, the next guest. So <laughs> there's that. That's all I'm going to say.
1: we got, we've got some good guests coming up. Good we've, guests coming up. We've got some exciting new things we're going to try out uh, with the podcast and the new year and, and a lot of stuff. But before, we start talking about the future podcasts. There's probably one thing that a lot of people are wondering about, which oh, is yeah. our big giveaway, our Christmas giveaway that we announced on the last episode. We have 17 different winners, and we have picked those winners today. So Dan, can I hear your best drum roll impression here before I start announcing our winners?
2: Well, I'm not going to give you a drum roll, but you're a you're a Star Wars nerd, right?
1: Oh yeah, I love Star Wars. Okay, so
2: how about this? No, <laughs> well, that's superman isn't it is that,
1: that... that is not super that's not star wars that's superman i think yeah. oh well
2: I, that just tells you how much i know yes there, okay well anyway superman
1: you, you could have done like a dun 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 dun, dun there we go dun, dun, dun. There yeah we that go. would have been it how um, about we just go like this yeah yeah that's probably best all right perfect our 12 wired to hunt hat winners are and i'm going to butcher some of these names 12 people winning hats reed Leeser, brett diffin david baldridge paul simes or seams tj dennis joseph zimmerman andrew prosser sam bates jason rude Jacob Jacob Pruitt, Josh Schaefer, and Chris Rogers. There's our 12 hat winners. So, and FYI, for all the winners, I'm going to send you all a Facebook message and get your address information, and we'll figure out how to send this stuff to you. So look for a note from me coming soon. Our next winner gets a one-year subscription to HuntSoft, which is a really cool internet program allows you to put in all your trail camera images and de- analyze all the data. One-year subscription. The winner is Kyle Spencer. Kyle Spencer. Big winner. Big winner. Now we've got a dozen Carbon Express Mayhem Hunter arrows. Really nice arrows. Shot them for a couple of years. The winner of a dozen arrows from Carbon Express is Lindsey. This is Lindsey Zizzleman, I think, or Zizelman or... Zeiselman, maybe, something like that. So, Lindsay, you are the big winner. Next up, we've got a Big & J prize package with some of the Big & J BB Squared and their new Mineral Meltdown product. Cool stuff there. The winner of the Big & J prize package is Chris Rogers. Chris Chris Rogers. Yes, that's the one. winner. Now, we've got two final winners here this last one here is for a redneck T post feeder. So this is a cool feeder for corn or some kind of attractant that you can hang on a tree or a T post. The winner f- for the redneck T post feeder is Ruben Dort or Dort, Reuben. And finally, last but not least the winner of the redneck outdoors portable hunting chair, which I was, which my dad was sitting in when he killed his buck a week and a half ago. Um, not the one we're giving away, but a chair. The winner of a Redneck Portable Hunting Chair is Jake Huff. Jake Huff. Big winner. So there it is. There's our winner. 17 of you guys will be getting some pretty cool prizes here in the mail as our thank you for sticking with us this year and enjoying the podcast with us for uh, you know 37 episodes.
2: Well, it just seems like we started this thing yesterday. I know. So as far as 2014 is concerned... I've had an absolute blast doing this. Thank you for letting me be a part of it, Mark. And uh, I'm pretty excited for 2015.
1: Yeah, hey, it's uh, it's been incredible. I'm glad that you were able to join us for this, Dan. Um, it's been awesome having a co-host. And I think most importantly, you know, we've got to thank the listeners who have. That's uh, the big one. Yep. They've really, you know, stuck with us through all the crazy stuff we talk about and the weird words I say over and over again. And uh, stories and the interesting episodes and maybe the not as interesting episodes and for giving us great feedback and advice and, uh, sharing your stories and, and just being a part of the wired hunt nation. Um, gosh, we appreciate it. And i um, like Dan said, this has been an absolute blast. Um, I never expected when we launched the podcast that it would have, um, such a i had no idea it would be quite so well received uh, we've got such good feedback and i just got an email the other day from someone who said you know it's totally changed how they hunt and it's changed their life now they might have been exaggerating but they said that in the email um so that's kind of cool and um you know, i keep hearing from more and more people saying hey you know what i learned on the podcast has helped me so much help me get a get a deer Some, someone just emailed me today dan who said they wanted to send in their success story because our late season advice from our episodes helped them kill late season buck. So awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. I love that. We're able to help people and um, you know, we're just going to keep on doing it and we're going to keep our doing our best and we're gonna keep on getting better. And I hope uh, in 2015, this podcast is going to be awesome. So thank you everyone out there listening. Um, as always, be sure to visit wired to episode 37. For show notes and links from today's episode, we'll have some different links to things that we've talked about. Um, Dan, I think you mentioned that one podcast episode. We'll make sure to link that. Um, Also, a little update um, that I haven't mentioned before. You know, Right now, you can listen to the podcast on the website um, or on iTunes on your phone or tablet. Excuse me, I'm getting the hiccups here. (laughs) Um, But you can also now listen to the Wired Hunt podcast on an app called Stitcher. And Stitcher is available on Android phones. So right now, you know, you can listen to the podcast on your podcast app if you have an iPhone. But now, if you download the Stitcher app, which is spelt S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R, Stitcher, you can get that in your app store if you've got an Android phone. You can now get the podcast right in your phone or your tablet um, if you're an Android device user. So that should make things a lot easier for all of you out there that don't own Apple devices. Finally, we'd also like to thank our partners who helped make this show possible, who have made this such a great year. Um, if it weren't for our partners, couldn't do this. So, big thank you to Sika Gear, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Carbon Express Arrows, Huntsoft, Lacrosse Boots, Big and J Long Range Attractants, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. So, that being said, and for all of you out there who are playing along, that means it's time to take a drink. This is our last show of the year. So again, thank you all so, so, so much. Happy New Year. God bless. And stay Wired to Hunt.
0: I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet